0: Is another full episode of one of our favorite podcasts, Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio, hosted by David Rothkop, produces new episodes two to three times per week and brings together top experts, policymakers, and journalists from the national security, foreign policy, and political communities. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you become a member of the DSR Network, you'll receive benefits such as ad-free listening via private feed, discounts to virtual events, and deep state radio swag, and access to the member-only Slack community. This is one of the most closely followed podcasts among the people influencing the most important decisions in Washington and worldwide today. You can learn more by visiting thedsrnetwork.com. Listeners to Words Matter will receive 25% off the regular membership price. Use code WORDSMATTER at checkout.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am here today with our Thursday regulars, Ryan Goodman, somewhere in New York City of NYU Law School. How are you, Ryan? Uh, Very well, David. Thanks. And dr kavita patel in a parking lot somewhere um uh for those of you who you don't catch the video of this um how you doing kavita
2: i'm i'm good i'm in a I'm, i'm not in a shady situation i'm in a parking lot of my clinic so we can start a vaccine clinic for those precious precious few people that got those spots for vaccines tonight in dc
1: well, that's a, that's a good thing. What do you think? I mean, we, we'll go and get into the news in a minute. What do you think of the current state of vaccines with vaccines going to pharmacies soon? Um, and uh, I know I talked to my doctor. I went to the doctor yesterday for the annual checkup. And she said, look at my freezer. She said, because they're getting all the doctors to get ready so they can do mm. doctor mm-hmm. visits. So that looks yep. like that's coming. Should we take some hope from all this?
2: Yeah, I do. I think that we're still plagued by kind of clunky portals or websites that fill up in five minutes and people who are kind of hacking the system. But I think that's just the way life is. And I do think that we're doing a better job, especially with the recent move to directly send supply from the federal government to 6,500 retail pharmacies of different kinds around the country. I think that'll just open up a lot more opportunity. It's more likely you've got one of those pharmacies close to your house than, you know, a hospital, uh, etc. So I think it's, it's good. It's not what worries me though, David, is it's probably not fast enough for my liking considering where we are seeing concerns about these new variants and some of the potential destruction they could do if they dominate in the U S
1: that, um, that's something to worry about. The place I went um, uh, is a high school gym and it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, which is fine, but it's across the street from Katz's Delicatessen. So if you actually go and get your vaccine and then go to Katz's, you may not get COVID, but you will die of a heart attack.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I like. You that.
1: know, so you know, there there are risks. There are, there are risks everywhere. Um, well, maybe we'll come back to this. We're gonna we're gonna play a little tech team here today. For those of you want to know, we've got. Kavita and Ryan doing the first sort of half hour of this. And then for the last 15 minutes, while Kavita is off doing more important things, which is to say vaccinating people, um, uh, our friend Rosa Brooks, who is usually with us on Mondays, will join us and we'll talk to her a little bit um, about some of the constitutional issues with, in which she and Ryan specialize. Let me just do a little word association for both of you. I'll <laughs> to Ryan first. Um, uh, I'll give you three words. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Green, Ryan.
3: Cueing <laughs> on, <laughs> um, that's true. That's what happens. Um, yeah. So Marjorie Taylor Greene seems to be being uh, quasi endorsed uh, by at least large sections of the Republican Caucus in the House, um, despite the outrageous statements she's made in the past. Uh, Greg Sargent has some very good analysis up on uh, the Washington Post about how her statements are, in fact are still energizing uh, both the big lie and the idea that um, political violence is a solution to our uh, political divides within our country. And, you know, I saw her remarks uh, today on the floor of the House, which in some sense doubled down to a certain degree on these divisions by, you know, she starts immediately by saying her Democrat (laughs) colleagues, which she's... um, at least a tenure, I guess, for some of that, but also blaming others um, for her misfortune as though <clears throat> the, the fake news media is why she was driven to QAnon or something like that. It was just a kind of a bizarre tale um, on her part. So, uh, you know, she lives uh, another day, but it seems as though, I guess, the Democrats might take control of this with respect to her having anything to do with something like a Committee on Education given her horrific past and present. Um, when it comes to that, how
1: do you end up with this? Your doctor, your mother. How do you end up with a Marjorie Taylor Green? Is it you don't feed them enough, or she <laughs> an accident as a child, or like th- this? It's,
2: <laughs> it's funny you say that. I asked a child psychiatrist that exact question. I was like, was she not breastfed, or what? Was she given too much of this, or too little of this? By the way, that's that that's a joke about breastfeeding. It's incredibly clear that any food is is good food. I just have to say that. But it was funny how we were trying to understand that. And I, I would just say that to me, well, one, she's completely, I mean, she has a personality disorder. And I think Ryan's point about her house floor speech speaks to that. She's just a combination of narcissistic as well as a sociopath, because there is no question that her behavior is destructive, calling to question Sandy Hook, et cetera. But I think what's interesting to me is that she is an exact, I mean, you watch how Kevin McCarthy and these other pretty somewhat in the past esteemed Republicans seem to be tiptoeing or at least not wanting to do what is so blatantly obvious for the sake of our democracy necessary to do. And it just reminds me, David, that Donald Trump's legacy, so to speak, of unleashing these gaslighters who now feel emboldened and empowered, that the QAnon movement even is a movement to me. It just tells me that, you know, as much as I'd like to be done with Donald Trump, like we're not going to be done. His destruction seems to be kind of pervasive in a way that I, I, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, when you said the three words, my mind immediately went to this is somebody who, Donald Trump is somewhere in a corner in his Mar-a-Lago, you know, basement relegate, you know, just re- kind of saying to people like, you know, she's amazing. She's a real American and look at her. And that's, that's what, that's what this feels like.
1: You know, that's a really good, you know, you, you talk about the sort of gaslighters sort of being spread out there. And I, you know, the, what I got when you were saying it was kind of invasion of the body snatchers imagery, you know, these kind of pod people. And, mm-hmm. you know, once they're sort of infected with uh, whatever it is, They go out and they lie and they have no values whatsoever. And they'll say anything and they're inflammatory in this way. And, you know, Ryan, Ryan, look, I never thought much of Kevin McCarthy ever, but, you know, there was an insurrection on Capitol Hill, Mm -hmm. you know, three weeks ago, uh, five or five, you know, six people are now dead because of it. Mm -hmm. 140 Capitol police were injured. Congress people were cowering in their offices, afraid that they would be um, murdered. And uh, the, the, you know, the president unleashed this, you know, against the Congress in order to overturn an election. And his choice is not a slap on the wrist. His choice is not to sort of, condemn it he, you know he's gone to mar-a-lago to pose with the president and he's protecting you know q proponent and this is all over it's not just one or two people it's it's 140 people in the congress it's a bunch of people in the senate i mean i just i, I gotta tell you i watch it but i don't understand it um what wh- wh- how how Have we come to this place? And it seems to me, Mitch McConnell, who doesn't even have a little bit of shred of a conscience or a heart, even he doesn't think these people are in the right place. How how did this happen, Ryan? Do you think it's a political calculus?
3: Um, So I do think it's a straight up political calculation. Um, Not that it's necessarily the correct political calculation. I also don't. I mean, I, I wanna be careful in how much I say it, but I. if I were a member of the Republican caucus, I would not have much faith in Kevin McCarthy. I just, his judgment and seems so off and the way he tries to defend himself when pressed by the media seems so off and he makes so many forced errors uh, in the way in which he does things uh, by making silly statements that are completely contradicted by what he said. 10 days before, for example, uh, as part of that. Um, so I do think it's just crass political calculations. Um, I was just trying to look it up here. I think it might be an Axios poll, but there's a poll that just came out. Yeah, it's uh, an Axios uh, Survey Monkey poll. that came out this past week that showed that the Repub- that Republicans uh, find uh, Marjorie Taylor Green more popular than Liz Cheney. Um, so, you know, they're they're dealing with that, um, <laughs> and then apparently when they met as their caucus to decide what to do with Marjorie Taylor Greene, that there was a standing ovation right by um, a large contingent of the the Republican caucus. So there's that. Um, yeah, well, about, so yeah, you know, so I, I think
1: you yeah. know, bring up that point. What is it that they're applauding? She's never proposed any legislation. She's only been there a couple of days. It's the crazy. only thing she's ever done is said she supported the insurrection, that she thought Nancy Pelosi should be shot in the head, that she thought we were on our way to you know getting to hanging Barack Obama, um, that Jews had space lasers, um, which, frankly, you know, as a Jew, I'd like a space laser. <laughs> Nobody ever offered me a space laser. I didn't even know we had things like that. But, but the point is, she has never done anything but said outrageous, awful things founded in lies and hatred. What are they applauding? Or am I making this too complicated? Is that what they're applauding?
3: Right. Um, so I, I guess I think of it in two ways, but my first explanation doesn't hold for that many people standing in, in, a, in a private session standing ovation, giving her a standing ovation. So the first way I think about it is, I think we underestimate the degree to which there are powerful and influential people in our country who have drunk the Kool-Aid, who have consumed the disinformation, who have dipped into QAnon or other forms of extreme disinformation. Maybe it's members of uh, Congress who feel like, you know, to keep themselves in office, what they need to do is listen to Fox News and nothing else. Um, And then they're just fed. Disinformation, and they miss a whole bunch of news that's otherwise being reported because Fox isn't even reporting it or further to the right of Fox. So I think there's some element of that. And then the other one, I suppose, is still back down to the crass political calculation. They're not true believers, but maybe they think we got to circle our wagons around Marjorie because if she is cast out, then we might be cast out. But she's such an extreme that if she is not cast out and she is made and she's kept by the Republican caucus, then we're all safe us band of you know, uh, people with fringe ideas and extremely uh, destructive uh, ideas with respect to the country and with even respect to the Republican Party. So maybe that's part of the showing support for somebody like that in that moment. Um, it's the best two explanations I can come up with. Well, you know, Kavita, you worked on the Hill, not recently, but
1: you worked on the Hill not too long ago. Um, And I wonder, you know, you think about it and there is some kind of social pathology at work here. I saw Senator uh, Kennedy of Louisiana talking about how terrible it was that the Democrats were working for the elites and for the rich and, and against the common man. And, you know, he like went to oxford and he's got 10 million dollars and you know josh hawley same thing ted cruz same thing these are not stupid people they're gigantic hypocrites um but do do you think that that something i mean that the pathology has deepened since you left the hill
2: I don't know if it's at the I I, there is some element to that but when Ryan was talking honestly it made Ryan I think your latter point is spot on because that sentiment David has not changed on the hill it was always about the next election and survive kind of survival and that's obviously because of the terms so much more dramatic on the house side you know the senate has the luxury of kind of a longer cycle and a tendency to to kind of vote in the incumbency etc on the house, there's just so many more of them and so many more opportunities to lose power. And we all know that the, you know, midterms after a White House transition often bodes well for the party in the minority. So I I agree you're right, David, that there's a deepening of a pathology because there also is this lack of there used to be a day, whether it was Kevin McCarthy or Nancy Pelosi or, you know, remember Harry Reid. I mean, there used to be a day where those leaders could actually keep their party in line their caucus in line we saw that slip quite a bit way before trump but it's continued to deteriorate and i do think that that combined kind of with ryan's point where they're looking around and they're like you know hey we can't let this that woman's truly crazy but we can't let anyone kick her out because then they're going to come after me and i can't you know one i can't lose my power and two I've probably got a constituency that actually agrees more with her than they do with me anyway. So I do think that's what's happened. And to Ryan's first point, I think that is a large product of the lack of, I'll call it broad education and being controversial and trying to understand the other side, so to speak, something I think we try to do on the deep state, like not, you know, what, what is it that people are thinking and why are they thinking that way? And I don't I don't think that that cognitive skill is valued anymore. I think it's all about survival and it's selfish.
1: Yeah, I think we're sort of, you know, in the wake turbulence of the Donald Trump administration, you know, mm-hmm. the 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 disruption on January 6th and the impeachment mm-hmm. and so forth around that. But we're seeing some consequences of this, Ryan, that, you know, are legislative and go to the longer term issues. You know, Kavita was talking earlier about COVID. Biden administration has gone to pre- present COVID kind of uh, relief uh, uh, talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few moderate Republicans came back to him with a completely unconstructive proposal. I mean, mm-hmm. a ridiculous proposal where they essentially said, we're just going to take his number and divide it into a third. We'll take a third of it. And and it was no more than that. There was no nuance. There was no ideology. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. They just were reducing it. Um, and and we, we you know we have to look forward to the next couple of years. But it, it seems to me, looking right now, like this notion of you know let's find a way to work together is already dead in the water. It's a, you know they just you know but Paul McCarthy is certainly not going to do that. McConnell took two weeks to acknowledge that the Democrats were actually in control of the Senate, you know, and 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 was exploiting that. Are 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 we into you know the the latest chapter of not being able to address the needs of the country, um, or leaving it entirely to the Democrats to do by
3: one vote, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's a, it's a hard question, like what, what comes next? I, I suppose uh, one way to answer a part of the question is an area in which we talk a lot about on uh, this show, which is foreign policy and national security. And today, Biden gave his first major foreign policy speech at the State Department and in that lane, there are a bunch of bipartisan issues. So counter Russia, strong bipartisan issue in which there was a bipartisan support for it under Trump despite the White House. Um, the limitation of arms control uh, arms control, arms sales to Saudi Arabia, strong bipartisan support uh, for that kind of initiative. So there might be other initiatives with respect to Saudi Arabia, Uh, that are like that, um, there'd be strong bipartisan support. So I do think there are gonna be maybe spaces where we'll see that, um, and it won't just be bipartisan, but it'll be congressional and executive branch cooperation. So maybe the idea could be, because these things are also a little bit about what the atmosphere feels like, uh, there'll be maybe opportunities to utilize those issues to try to forge some ways of like, breaking the old habits and starting new habits of some forms of cooperation, maybe, um, in a space that's not as highly politicized.
2: I, I Ryan, I, I would love to see that. I don't know, I feel like I'm having flashbacks. What has happened, what is happening now is going to always be pegged on, oh, Joe Biden doesn't want to accomplish his quote, commitment to unity. That's total hogwash because when Trump, when when the Republicans kind of came in after Obama and took power, There was zero effort, zero effort to do anything in any form accommodating, quote unquote, what the Democratic Party wanted. And in fact, they were very successful in stripping down not only a number of obviously foreign policies, but domestic policies. And we felt paralyzed. And so I was ecstatic to see Joe Biden basically say, yeah, I'll keep talking to like anybody who wants to talk, but yeah, we're going to go ahead and, you know, get a relief bill passed. Thank you very much. Like I good. Thank God. I was a little nervous that when those uh, 10 senators and, you know, you saw Romney and you know, invite him to the Oval office with Susan Collins, I rolled my eyes thinking this is going to get us nowhere. It's just going to be one more delay tactic To not get us to budget reconciliation, which is exactly where we need to do this. And it just needs to happen. And Ryan, I feel like this happens every administration. I'll flip it back. It happened with Obama, right? Like this was, there was, how many criticisms did he get for quote unquote not having, remember, he didn't have a relationship with the Hill despite being a former senator. And he was heavily criticized for not, you know, bringing the Hill or having that kind of collegial relationship where the, president really has, like his trusted advisors on the Hill. And, and that to me was part of the, you know, for, for me that I, I will just say that I hope Joe Biden doesn't get stuck with what the media is calling like, you know, in an effort to achieve unity, Joe Biden is doing this without any Republican support because he was left with no choice. Our country had no, cho- has no choice and had no choice.
1: You know, I got to tell you, Ryan, I, you know, honestly, I approached Joe Biden as the candidate and then Joe Biden as the president with hope, but with some worry, you know, and I was worried that he was going to get hosed and I was worried that he was going to compromise too much. And I was worried that he was too much, you know, process person and he wasn't going to be bold enough. Uh, and I was worried he was going to be too moderate, frankly, not address some of the issues where there are real uh, social needs and where I think, you know, the majority of the American people have moved. I, I, you know, I don't want to sound Pollyannish. I don't want to sound partisan. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I, you know, I thought, you know, somebody asked me to go write a column about his foreign policy speech. Mm-hmm. And I wrote him back and I said, I can't mm-hmm. because I have nothing to say accept positive stuff. And I'm gonna sound like <laughs> I, I'm no, I'm gonna sound like a flack, you know, because it was a good speech. He yeah. has more foreign policy experience than any American president in history. It was apparent, he knows the brief, he cares about alliances, he cares about international institutions, he cares about diplomacy. He's not gonna get every issue right, but. But you know he's he's trying to instill values in these things. He's standing up to the bad guys. He wants to use the State Department. He you know has a good idea. You know it, And I was like, this is really good. And you know when it comes to the choices he's made governing, just picking up on Kavita's point, we're forty executive orders into this thing, and some people are whining. But he would have gotten nothing done. He That's didn't right. wait. You know. And on, right. the, on the on and it looks like on the COVID bill. He's going to go in and he's going to say, no, we're doing our bill and we're going to do our one point nine. And then I'm going to go or in the bill. I'm not sure how it's going to work out. I'm going to raise the minimum wage. I'm going to do these things if Mm -hmm. I can get them done. And um, in that, he's you know, he's learned from the mistakes of the Obama administration.
2: Yep, that that is absolutely true. He absolutely has.
1: It, and, and so it seems like that's the, you know, been the his, his team that you were there, Kavita but it seems like, we, you know, we're, you know, we'll make mistakes, undoubtedly, he'll make mistakes, but it's not going to be the same ones.
2: You know, it's funny, he's learned so well, David, it is, I will say that, you know, you remember the initial, in the inner circle around Obama, pretty critical and kept Biden kind of away a little bit of an arm's length, right? And then you saw the president and vice president eventually really did become friends, but it didn't happen day one. And it's incredible to me. I will say this, that Joe Biden, president Biden today is somebody who you see how he survived decades on the Hill and you can see it because, wow, that man has taught and learned the masterclass in how to like, you know, kind of win friends and not make enemies, but to do it on a policy level, because you're absolutely right, David. Someone asked me like how, you know, what do you think about the health, this, the provisions, the executive orders? And I said, I said exactly what you said. I said, I'm just going to sound like I'm a huge Biden person because I can't criticize a single thing right now. I can pick a little bit on the edges, but I can't criticize one policy he's done on healthcare, not one.
1: And that's hard for people like you and me, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah.
2: It is. Well, I mean, I was the first to say the Affordable Care Act is so deeply flawed, you know, not that we should repeal it, but my God, I hope we don't stop with 2000. You know, I hope we don't stop with what passed in March of 2010, because it's nowhere near the healthcare system we need it to be. I have very little room to say Joe Biden didn't do the following. And, And you're right. There's certainly a lot more to do. And I feel like He is going to, you know, at some point he is going to have his moment where he's incredibly vulnerable and open to attack. But I think he's learned. And to Ryan, to your point though, I I I think it's just easy to write a headline like Joe Biden's gonna jam this thing through Congress um, and does not want to achieve unity. There was never unity to achieve. Like that's that's what I (laughs) mean. It just feels like we're just joking if we think that there was ever going to be movement. To, to find some common ground.
1: I would like Ryan to respond to all of this, but <laughs> I but, know I'm but, sorry, but it's five 29. <laughs> no, no. In the, I mean, people are listening to this at all different times and they don't know what time it is, but it's time for Kavita to leave. I do not right. want to be responsible for one person to miss their vaccination. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I, you know, Brian and I it's can true. talk, Brian okay, and I can yes. talk and, you know, if Rosa shows up, we'll talk to her. And if she doesn't, we'll just talk to each other. But um, <laughs> but you don't want that on your conscience, do you, Ryan? Couldn't deal with it. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't deal with it All right. Keep either. me up
2: at night. All right. Well, I, I, will, I will send in some live shots for the deep state for some augmenting to the, to the instead of ask the blob, it'll be ask the docs. So I'll do some, I'll you do some live You do more good then.
1: in five minutes than any of us do in an entire week. So good luck. <laughs> all
2: right, guys.
1: Take see, care, we'll everyone. see you later. Bye. We'll, Bye. we'll see you later. Do you want to respond to all this, Ryan, what
3: she was saying? Yeah, I think I've, I've been misunderstood. <laughs> 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 I, really, I mean, it's not like, um, so I was trying to think, is it something that I said in the way I said it? I, I really do, you know, I don't disagree with what you and Kavita just said, Um no, I no, was, I don't think we were disagreeing yeah. with oh, okay. you. I think yeah. we were just, we were building on it. We were we were agreeing with you, actually. Yeah, no, so, I mean, all I was trying to think of, and maybe it's just the way that I thought of the question, like, can I identify ways in which there might actually be bipartisanship or ways in which the executive branch in Congress would find space to work together? So I, I do think there's maybe low-hanging fruit if they want that, they can uh, go for that. And maybe he could even use that as a device to counteract some... Uh, misleading uh, negative headlines about um, not pursuing unity. So I I also agree, like there's no way he should have negotiated on these issues. And I also, the way I've thought about it as well is the more he would try to negotiate and bend towards this bipartisan polarity, he would actually be bending away from what the majority of Americans want. So when we talk about unity um, in a certain sense, so democracy and democratic compromise, he'd actually be compromising on what a majority of Americans have wanted with the COVID relief and things like that. So I I see all of those points too. And I also was very worried by how many times um, President Obama seemed to think that there was compromise uh, down the street and, and it was just that they were uh, leading him astray each time. So I'm hopeful about that. I The only other thing maybe I would say is that um, these first several days might not be as representative about how they govern afterwards, because you know I presume they came in with these executive orders, it's not like they wrote them on day one. So they started to write them. So they were supercharged to do that in some sense, um, independent of the political climate at the time. Uh, with impeccable timing, Rosa Brooks has joined us. Hi, Rosa, how are you?
4: Hi guys, I'm Will.
1: Um good I'm 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 glad you're well. We've been talking about Washington this week and you missed our discussion about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um uh, uh, I'm sure you're pretty devastated um, that you've missed it. Unless you want to say anything about Marjorie Taylor Greene before we shift subjects here.
4: I don't. I I have I never ever want to have to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a terrifying Human being, terrifying
1: excuse for human being. I totally agree with you. Um, I think you've summed it up perfectly. Let us shift the turn the page a little bit and, and, and uh, talk a little bit about what's going to happen next week, where we actually have another impeachment trial coming up. And we've, Hooray,
2: we love impeachment trials.
1: Yeah, no, we're doing them frequently once a year now, every January, <laughs> February. We, we try to do one. Um, and in this, in this pardon me
4: little impeachment clears the air.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, it's very entertaining. And we've 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 seen the house managers lay out, lay out their case. We've seen Trump's team uh, and today we saw the house managers uh, suggest that Trump should testify um, and Trump's you know Jason Miller his spokesperson one of the most revolting people who ever worked in Washington um, said, no, he's not going to testify because he considers this impeachment to be unconstitutional. Both of you are, um, uh, constitutional, uh, scholars. Is this impeachment unconstitutional, Rosa? Uh,
4: I don't think so. Um, I mean, there was a, uh, um, terrific piece, uh, and I cannot remember now whether it was the New York Times, um, or the Washington Post by, by Steve Vladek, um, a uh, couple weeks ago that, Laid this case out very well. Um, the Constitution, the 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 consequence of impeachment, uh, among other things, can be disqualifying somebody from running for office in the future. And Steve Steve does a nice job of laying out the the argument that given that that's one of the potential uh, consequences of being convicted in an impeachment trial, that it can't logically therefore mean that um, Congress no longer has the power to to. Impeach uh, once a president is out of office because that would prevent Congress from making any use of that particular consequence. Um, the argument's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's that's the I'm, that's the basics. I mean, there's there's no clear bar, and there are sufficient reasons to infer from what is in the text uh, of the Constitution that that there's no reason not to continue the impeachment. There's no constitutional reason not to continue it. There may be, there may or may not be practical reasons, say, well, let's not bother, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I don't think there's a constitutional bar.
1: So there's not, that was a rhetorical question. Oh, I'm glad oh, you responded.
4: I you mean,
2: I sort of just said.
1: No, no, I, oh, I, I, I respond. respond. <laughs> I I That's the kind of response we need to get. And we also know that there's precedent for it, Uh, 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 a defense secretary in the late 19th century, Belknap, was impeached after he left office uh, to keep him from, you know, doing horrible things. And uh, in English common law, there's a lot of examples of people being impeached after they left office. Um, So, no, this is not unconstitutional. But Ryan, that doesn't matter. The Constitution doesn't matter if the Republicans are all a bunch of jerks. (laughs) Because <laughs> if they, you know, if they just they just say we don't care, we're not going to support this. It doesn't matter. We're not going to listen to your evidence. Um, uh, then, you know, I, I raise the question in my mind, which is: Is this all an empty exercise? Because we know they're just going to say, toss it.
3: So it's a yeah. It's a good question. That you know, the, the very obvious high likelihood is that they'll get a few Republican senators, and that's it. Um, No matter what but i do think that there are a number of different purposes served by what we're going to see next week um even to the point that i have tried to start like getting people to write for just security who have written about war crimes trials and the ways in which they start to you know like they're the first draft of history they can Uh, set a narrative, a public understanding. There's a lot of public education that can happen, especially because this will be done in large part by vivid videos um, as to what occurred. And I, you know, the thing that I've mentioned before on the show that keeps me up at night is the big lie, because I think of it as a motivating uh, myth that can mobilize white supremacists and um, neo-fascist groups across the country. And the trial is a opportunity to reset that um, and establish a prevailing understanding that's about the truth of the matter. And maybe it even gives some of the Republicans an opportunity to do the right thing in that regard. So I think there are other things like that. And then, of course, I also think that if the end result of a conviction is that Trump would be formally disqualified from ever serving again as a formal binding matter, then still we might serve that purpose through a very effective presentation by extremely an extremely good team of house managers and the end result is the court of public opinion and that's their main audience it's not the senate republicans that they need to try to somehow convince and the court of public opinion says this man is such an insane threat to the country he cannot run he cannot he is disqualified from seeking further office so i think that there is another dimension to this that's broader than the formal formality of what a impeachment trial is about.
1: You know, Ryan, um, I I don't don't take the statement the wrong way because I I never met you while we were in Washington. But um, Rose is the smartest person I ever met in Washington. (laughs) And uh, and uh, I've said this more more than more than once. Um, And uh, that's why I always enjoy listening and learning. Rosa, because you're the smartest person in Washington, what advice would you give the people, Jamie Raskin and the others who are conducting this impeachment um, about, you know, how to make the most of it, given Hmm. the parameters that we've got?
4: Oh, boy. You know, I would actually go back a little bit to what Ryan said, um, that that. We know that it's almost certainly a foregone conclusion that Trump is not going to be convicted because there are not likely to be enough Republican senators willing to vote for conviction. Um, so then the question becomes, well, what's this for? What's 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 accomplished by doing this? And and I think Ryan is absolutely right that it's it's part of several things. You know, part of it is is, is sort of building the historical record um, and. At a bare minimum, you know, establishing a historical record, um, and another part of it, we hope, is combating that big lie. But for that reason, I would actually argue if I were if I were talking to Jamie Raskin and company, I would argue for being really careful rhetorically, not to do anything that will play into the Republican conspiracy theory that, you know. Democrats just have Trump derangement syndrome. They just can't stand him. And to keep it as dry, just the facts, ma'am. Here's what happened. Here's the law. you know, here's here are the consequences. Here's what you said as possible and minimize the editorializing because I think the more tempting as it is um, to say and justified as it is to say, you know, Donald Trump is a deranged, unstable individual who has broken every law in the books and violated the norm in the books and, you know, no punishment would be too great for him. Um, I don't think that that helps, right? In terms of, and I'm not worried, I'm not actually thinking here about the Marjorie Taylor Greens. We're not gonna, nothing is gonna change her mind. Nothing that happens in Congress, nothing that happens in the media, nothing that any of us say is gonna change her mind, right? But much as we talk about, you know, with the Taliban, are there reconcilables? You know, the focus right now, I think, needs to be on the reconcilables within the Republican Party, um, not the hardcore Trump supporters whose minds will not be changed by anything, but the people who are sort of sitting there thinking a little uneasily. Well, you know, I voted for the guy, but on the other hand, I feel a little concerned about this, and that's the group of people I think who are potentially reachable. And who will be pushed away by rhetoric that they that they perceive as stemming from Trump derangement syndrome, and who may be pulled in by a kind of just straightforward, you know, look, this is just what happened, and uh, you know, we're not we're not attacking you and everything you think, reconcilable Republican. We're we're saying this man Donald Trump should not hold office again. Um, you know, I, that, that, I think that is the advice that I would give.
1: Um, I love the idea, by the way, of, you know, are there good Taliban in the GOP? You know, that's, I mean, in some ways. I
4: don't certain... wouldn't say good Taliban, but <laughs> are there Taliban we can work with?
1: Yeah, yeah. Taliban that we can work with. Exactly. Um, uh, well, Ryan, what would you advise? What, I mean, we've had Jamie Raskin here on the show, and we know mm-hmm. he's a very smart guy. He's a you know he really is a very very thoughtful guy um not to mention being something of a, you know a hero for the way that he's handled personal tragedy and and nonetheless forged ahead with this during the, the course of the past several weeks
3: but what if you if he were sitting here what would you say to him so i mean i it's hard to think of some of the things i would say because in some ways it may even sound in a certain sense disrespectful because I think uh, the world of him, so I think he would anticipate what I would (laughs) try to tell him. For example, like you have such a strong case, be extremely careful (laughs) in terms of every video you show, everything you do, you have such a strong case and they'll just try to nitpick something and then make it out of something else. But I'm sure he thinks that. I guess I think, and this wouldn't be about him necessarily, but I do think similar to what I said and then what Rosa said, I worry that they give into a temptation to have this score political points, because another purpose that could be served by this trial is to delegitimize and make it very politically painful for some of these Senate Republicans to vote to acquit or to make it look as ridiculous as it will look if they try to do it on procedural grounds. And I just worry, I mean, and this may be hard to say, but I still think for our country, One of the greatest things that can be served here is defeating the big lie and exposing um, how serious the threat is from the white supremacist uh, domestic extremists in this country. And that's what they can tell the American people. And hopefully the two final lawyers that are left on the Trump team, based a little bit on how one reads their reply brief, they're not going to go down the side of, defending the big lie, it's, who knows, they might. But this actually might be very one-sided so that Jamie Raskin can stand up there, destroy the big lie, and there isn't gonna be a response to it. Um, and if there even is one, then it'll be a highly ineffective one. That's such an opportunity for the country. Um, so that's what I would suggest. That's one part I, of it.
1: I think it's a good point. We only have a couple of minutes left, but Rose, I think it's a good point because you know, essentially as you look at a trial like this, one of the things to do is to hold Trump accountable. That's extremely important. As of right now, nobody who incited this insurrection has been held accountable. Nobody. Now, it's not to say the FBI won't do something, but so far, nobody has been held accountable. And uh, having said that, it's also an opportunity or inevitably will, to some extent, turn the page in the Congress on the Trump era. But a lot of these people are going to remain behind. Hawley will be there. Cruz will be there, Getz will be there, Marjorie Taylor Greene will be there, Um, the people who supported this will be there. And so to some extent, from a political perspective, but also from the perspective of the threat, you wanna say, we're making the case against, uh, you know, against people who supported an insurrection. Something took place that was an assault on the government. How did it happen? Who was responsible? We are going to uh, convict or we want you to convict this man, but they were not acting alone. And so you carry this forward so that those people who were involved in this, um, uh, you know, also also pay some kind of price. Because in a way, you know, I I guess this is the point. This is where my my question is going, Rosa. We are going to finally, I hope, turn the page from Trump with all of this. And it's going to finally be, you know, it may be a Trumpy party, a Trumpist party, a party with him in the background. Um, uh, but the, there's a there are new set of threats: white supremacists, right wing extremists, and 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 their, their advocates in the Congress. And 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 you know, I think we need to turn our attention to that to some degree. I mean do you share that view and and what, what, you know what, how, how do you how do you think we begin to deal with that
4: so I don't know that we're getting rid of trump in any meaningful way I think it's too soon to say um it wouldn't shock me for Trump to you know not he won't get convicted in the impeachment trial he'll announce he's running in 2024 it wouldn't shock me at all uh, if we, to see Donald Trump continuing to get a ton of media attention and continuing to be viewed as the core leader of the Republican party, or if he has to, you know, and he's sort of suggested he's willing to do this, to sort of peel away from the Republican party. Um, so I'm not, I wish, I, I would love it if Donald Trump would become irrelevant and kind of fade into the background playing golf in Florida for the next four years, uh, keeping very quiet. Um, and that that actually could happen because I don't think Trump particularly enjoyed being president. So he may just decide it's too much bother. Um, but but I wouldn't count on it. I That being said, I, I completely agree with you that the there needs to be an urgent focus on, um, Figuring out the networks of uh, sort of violent extremists in the United States, um, I mean, there's there's plenty of work that's already been done, but it needs to be not just redoubled, but, you know, pentupled, if that's if that's not really a word, I guess, but, you know, multiplied by 10, not just doubled. Um, Did you actually just
1: say 10
4: tuppled? 10 I said pentupled because oh, I'm Latin.
1: Yeah, uh, um, I see. So I, that's that oh. would be five, though, right?
4: Mm, yeah, you're right. I don't really speak Latin, um, but you know what I mean. You get the idea. More of it. Lots, lots more of it. Um, because I think that this is one of those situations where um, there is a window of opportunity. A lot of Americans, including Americans who, like Donald Trump, recoiled from what they saw at the Capitol. Um, and some of those organizations are in disarray, some of those far right organizations, and some of them are white supremacists and some of them are not, but they're all threats. Um, you know, that uh, the, 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 they're in disarray and are experiencing some people peeling away from them right now. And this is the moment for the FBI and Homeland Security to really go after them hard. Uh, You know, and to be making as many arrests as possible to be also to be thinking about, you know, how do we disrupt, you know, where are they on social media? How do we disrupt those networks? How do we hold people civil civilly liable for defamation uh, for slander as the case may be? How do we hold how do we hold social media companies that are failing to police them liable that that there's got to be kind of full court press to go after these organizations and the uh, corporations that are empowering them while we have the opportunity that if we just turn our backs on this and let it grow in the next 4 years we'll be facing a threat that could be even bigger 4 years down the road
1: yeah Ex- excellent point because it's not just the white supremacists or the right-wing extremists it's them plus as brian referred to it, a, a, lot, a ryan referred to it the big lie and that you have to address the machinery for incitement um, as well as the mechanisms of, um, of domestic terror. Neither of you were there for it, but I did a conversation this week um, earlier with Frank Figluzzi of the former FBI agent who has written a new book. And the last 20 minutes of the conversation were we have no domestic terror law. We need to have a domestic terror law. The, the, you know, the, you know it, but you're making face but i you know i i, I just think and maybe i get a minute from each one of you on 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 this uh but there does seem to be a gap and his point was i'm a i'm an fbi agent you know or i was that there are a lot of things that you could prosecute somebody for if they were an international terrorist that you can't prosecute them for if they're a domestic terrorist um the, one minute from ryan one minute from rosa and then we'll wrap
3: it up Based on Rosa's facial reactions, I think she's going to say what I'm. What I would think. What I would think as well. So I'm going to actually defer. Yeah, to I'm Rosa. feeling terrible.
1: For those of you who are just <laughs> listening
3: to this, you know
1: when you're like talking and Rosa makes the face like she just ate a lemon. It's like, oh my god,
3: I'm an idiot. But oh, no, it no, no. didn't stop me from talking. But
4: anyway, um, so, so go ahead, Ryan.
3: Yes, I just wanna actually just say one little bit about the last part of the conversation, because I do think Raskin also has an opportunity to split apart some other parts of the Republican base. I think there's also low information voters or low information members of the public that don't know the full tale, the full story of what Trump did in the White House after he saw the insurrectionists taking over. And the mouse manager's brief is very good about detailing the Republican members of Congress who were calling over to the White House pleading with Trump to make a statement, a strong statement to have these people remove themselves from the Capitol and he wouldn't do it. That's one. And then the other one is the degree to which Donald J. Trump nearly got Mike Pence assassinated. And I'm saying nearly got, cause I'm not putting any intentionality, he nearly got him assassinated. Um, so I think there are other pieces of this that, and Mitch McConnell obviously wants to push out Donald Trump from the re- Republican party. There's a lot of opportunity there, I think, with the trial. Um, But just to the domestic authorities, I'll just defer to Rose because I think we're probably on the same page about it.
4: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would would say is that um, I would be very wary of concluding that the problem is that we need to define more people as terrorists and therefore we need more expansive uh, uh, surveillance and prosecutorial authorities domestically. I'm not an expert on this, so I will offer that as a caveat, but my, my sense is that we already have, in fact, rather expansive authorities under existing legislation to do much of what we would want to do and need to do to go after these organizations. Um, I think we've seen uh, uh, abuse and overuse of of existing counterterrorism authorities and the answer you know well let me let me draw a parallel right i think that i think that the looking at the events of january 6th uh many people rightly said wait a minute um why is it that peaceful racial justice protesters are greeted with this incredibly militarized response um uh and violent white supremacist mob uh, invading the capital are sort of treated with kid gloves. And there's this very light policing a non-militarized police response. The response to that should not be, oh, we should treat everybody with a, with a militarized and extremely coercive response using a lot of physical force. Um, the response to that should be a very different conversation about how we evaluate threats and what do we perceive as a threat, you know, and how do we prevent ourselves from underreacting in some cases and overreacting in others and similarly, when it, when it comes more broadly to authorities against uh, uh, violent extremist groups within the United States, I don't think the response should be, aha, we need to go after these domestic uh, uh, actors in the same way, the same unaccountable, excessive and lawless way that we have gone after foreign terrorists, the, the response should be to say, what authorities do we already have? How do we use them more effectively? Because I don't think the problem is that we lack sufficient legal authorities to disrupt these networks. In some isolated particular cases, we maybe yes, but for the most part, that's not the problem. The problem is that the US government has not made it a priority.
1: Excellent um, points. And uh, uh, I I think people are coming around to make it a priority, we'll see. We'll see how that happens. Um, and you know, as I was listening to you talk, one of the things that strikes me is somehow you have to find a way to take the politics out of it. Because clearly, the reason that one group saw force and another group did not was because in the last administration they were playing politics with how they responded to these things. And somehow we have to find a way to 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 not do that. Um, but the, the 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 caution about avoiding sort of drifting into, you know, more of a police state and this kind of thing is a is a is certainly a good one. Well, look, this has been a a great discussion, and um, uh, very grateful to all three of you, Kavita, who is now off giving people COVID vaccinations, uh, Rosa, and Ryan, and uh, we hope everybody will join us again uh, uh, for next week's full schedule of uh great episodes from deep state radio tomorrow in our kind of lighthearted weekend show uh, where we talk about the issues of the world um uh, but while baking uh, we have one of our friends from our thursday legal shows joyce vance baking a cake with um Marissa Rothkopf, while discussing many of these same issues. I love
4: it. I love this.
1: Yeah. No. Every week, it's it's Kavita did it last week. You can do it some week. Could
4: we also just have one where instead of like baking, we just eat things that we like? While that'd be
1: fine. You could join, and, and in fact, Marissa can bake something. Send it to you. And you can eat it. I can eat it. And then that's talk. I it's better. Yeah. Well, it's, it, 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 everybody's mood improves when they're eating cookies and cakes. So, you know, that's that's that was the theory behind all this. That show is, is is called The Secret Life of Cookies. So you should look for that one. And everything else we do at the DSRnetwork.com. Also, you can sign up there to be a member and support. Smart conversations like this one. So, once again, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Kavita. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, everybody, for listening and uh, stay healthy, everybody.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio, hosted by David Rothkopf, produces new episodes two to three times per week and brings together top expert policymakers and journalists from the national security, foreign policy, and political communities. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you become a member of the DSR Network, you'll receive benefits such as ad-free listening via private feed. Discounts to virtual events and deep state radio swag and access to the member only Slack community. This is one of the most closely followed podcasts among the people influencing the most important decisions in Washington and worldwide today. You can learn more by visiting the DSR Listeners to words matter will receive 25% off the regular membership price Use code WORDSMATTER at checkout.